Today, we are going to be continuing in our series in uh, the New Testament letter called 2 Corinthians. Uh, some people call it 2 Corinthians. I call it 2 Corinthians because I'm American. And so, uh, that was my attempt at a joke. Here we go. Anyway, tough crowd, tough crowd. Um, no, it's all good. So, we've been in this series for quite a while now. And um, I have this tendency personally where after like five weeks, I get bored. And so this is a good discipline for me because we are just trucking along verse by verse, section by section, and it has been good. And uh, you may have been in church before and you've heard about uh, the writings to the Corinthians and uh, usually people end up referencing the first letter that we have in the New Testament and that. That is a scathing letter. There's a lot to deal with that Paul, he was, uh, he was writing to correct the church. Um, but 2 Corinthians, it's been a couple years by this point, and it's actually a letter of comfort to uh, this group. He's wanting to encourage them. This is where we get to see Paul's pastor heart on display. And so we've been at this for a while, so let's go ahead and do some review. We're going to do just the last couple of weeks because it really sets the stage for uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Richard, you can go to the next slide. And so, installment number five, we learned that saved people witness to a captivating, life-giving gospel. And what that means is that for Paul, he used this image where he, he used the image of us being like captives in a train following behind uh, the Lord as king. Like we're like we're the spoils of war, and we, you know, as we're following Jesus in that image, we're just radiating the good news that people see and witness our lives, and they get a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he's like and what he's done for us. And so Paul used that. It's a strange image. It's weird. There's no two ways around it. It's a weird image, but um, Paul uses it something negative, and he uses it in that positive light. Uh, the next installment, we learn that Christ followers embody new covenant life, that uh, what we, like when you look at a person who follows Jesus, they embody something new. It's not the old covenant, which was marked by death, but it's, uh, and you know, our inability to meet the needs of and requirements of the law, but it's marked by the Spirit living inside of us and our ability now to live free by the Holy Spirit, which led directly into the last couple of weeks. We've been kind of flushing that out. What does that really mean? And so the next week we learned Christ's covenant transforms hearts and lives by the Spirit's power, uh, that we're not who we once were. Uh, amen. We are now a new creation in Christ because of this new covenant. It's a new thing, and that's good. Uh, and it's all done by the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And so, you know, seeking, you know, what, is, what does it look like for us to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and transforming us from the inside out? Then last week we learned in and through Christ's Spirit, <laughs> we experienced freedom and transformation. So we got the transforming piece. But then also we, because of what Paul's talking about, we come to learn that the aim of the gospel is your freedom. God does not want you bound 
in any way, like to the old life, to, to sin, to habits, to hang-ups. He wants you to live free in his kingdom. That, that does mean, we'll talk about it today, but that does mean that God is still king and we still submit to him and he is Lord in our lives, but we actually find our most freedom when we are aligned in that way with the Lord. And so that's, that's what we've been covering the last couple of weeks in uh, chapters 2 and 3 of 2 Corinthians. That all leads me to today. You can go to the next slide. Today we're talking about the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel. And our passage is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. And our big idea for today is that our service expresses the gospel. Our service expresses the gospel. This reminds me of when I was growing up. Uh, as many of you know, I'm, I'm quite a music person. I started, I got my start with oldies, what is now called oldies, true oldies from the 50s and 60s. Thank you very much. Um, and when I was growing up, uh, my mom had the CD called Hot August Night 2 by Neil Diamond. You can go to the next slide. And so with Neil Diamond, he had this one particular song that I just loved as a kid called Forever in Blue Jeans. Money talks. It don't sing or dance and it don't walk. And I forget the rest because I haven't listened to it in a while, but it was such just this mind-boggling song. I loved it, and it's so simple, and it's great. But that's my really great segue into, as, as a young person, black and white reality and everything, like, everything is just yes or no. Like, he uses this image to talk about how money talks. And this gets me thinking about how in life, Lots of things communicate something. Lots of things say something. It's not just some of the more overt things, like somebody wearing a sandwich board sign with whatever message that they have. Uh, or, you know, uh, as many of us here in town know, there's that one blessed older person on the side of, you know, corner of uh, uh, 126 and 101 where they have the sign that usually says something is wrong or something is bad, like racism is bad. And to that person's credit, they're consistent. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they're very consistent in their messaging and their, their format and all of that, but they're saying something through that. And you could make the argument, and I might be with you in making the argument like, does that need to be said? I don't know. Maybe it does. But somebody is saying something right there with a sign, usually with a mask on. That's a whole other deal. Um, however, not going there, but that's not the only way that communication happens, right? Uh, Angie and I, we've been getting into uh, uh, Star Trek again, and we've been, uh, we were watching the new Strange New Worlds um, and I'm not going to bore you with the details because some people are not sci-fi people, and that's okay. But 
we were watching, and man, like, as an adult, I'm realizing, man, they are preaching something through this show in this sci-fi way, and oh, they're heavy-handed about it, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? But we do that, we, we receive that kind of stuff all the time, do we not? Whether it's like an advertisement or, or, or a TV special or, or whatever, um, or whether we're doom scrolling on our phone, or we got our earbuds in or our you know, good old fashioned headphones and whatnot, we are consuming media all the time, communication coming at us. And this leads me to wonder the question, what are we listening to? And what are we saying? Because there are messages coming at us from all around. And there's messages that we're sending out, whether we think we are or not. Whether it's by the clothes we wear, the things we say, the choice of food we have, I don't know. There's like infinite number of things that you could ex you know, explore and we could be here all day and that's not the point of today other than to say we're all saying something and we're all listening to something and we need to pay attention. So with that, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. All right, and if you'd like to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to as well. <clears throat> Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, said, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first thing I see in our passage is that in light of the new covenant, so everything we reviewed before, in light of that, in light of the gospel, we can live strong by God's mercy. We can live strong by God's mercy. He points out in the first couple of verses there how he has this ministry, but it's not his own doing. It's by the mercy of God. And that's why he's encouraged. That's why he doesn't lose heart. He's using, again, like a negative word there, negative phrase, to illustrate a positive 
thing by saying that we're not giving up. We're not failing. We're, we do not lose heart. We are encouraged would be the positive way of thinking of it. But then he launches into this list of what he does. And it's, it's fascinating because it's like, why does he put that list there? And he says, we've renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We don't practice cunning. We don't tamper with God's word. <laughs> we, you know, by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to the conscience of all people in the sight of God. And what he's pointing out there is the, what he does to make sure that he maintains his witness. It's the things that he, it's the guardrails, if you will, that he puts in place to make sure that this thing he's received by God's mercy, this ministry is able to continue to move forward. It's able to keep going and he's able to be encouraged and strengthened along the way with that. And that makes me think of a horse, but not just any horse. It reminds me of uh, this kind of an image. I don't have this image just burned in my mind, but <laughs> I, I tried to figure out how, you know, how to search it up. But where you have a horse and you have now King Charles, <laughs> which this is not a commentary politically on anything about him or, or, or people associated with him, other than to say he is a monarch and he has now a bunch of horses that he inherited from his mom. But the interesting thing about a horse is that horses just naturally are wild, right? But in order for them to be made useful, in order for them to also be trained and to gain that strength uh, and, and endurance to serve the king, they need to be broken, right? That whole broken kind of ceremony kind of thing. But not only that, they also need this bit and bridle to kind of navigate them where to go, wherever the king would have them go. And this illustration, it makes me, I would submit to you that maybe the kinds of things that Paul does in his ministry, the, the whole, you know, we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We don't practice cunning. We don't tamper with God's words. Things that, you know, rules that he puts in place on his own life are meant to discipline him in a way where he can be useful for the king. What's fascinating in our lives and in our world today is that so often, and like, I'm not, like, I, I'm there too. There are things where it doesn't seem very fun to my flesh that God would have certain rules or certain expectations on my life. Or it wouldn't be fun that even if it's not explicitly laid out in Scripture, that like, I should not do X, Y, Z, whatever, fill in the blank thing. And for you as well, there are things in your life where it's like, you should not go there. You should not do that thing. You should not, in, in the way Solomon wrote in Proverbs, don't even walk by it. <laughs> you know, in order, like these are the guardrails, these are the boundaries, these are the rules, the expectations that we put on our lives 
not because we want to be a killjoy, but because it's actually advocating for our health and our well-being and what God would have for our lives. And so for Paul, he's describing this of, this is the mercy I've received. This is how I steward it. And this makes me wonder, in yours and my life, what are the disciplines that we need in order, what are, what are the constraints like a bridle or, you know, like a, a harness on our lives in order that the king can use us as he will at, and direct us and where, we, where he would lead, we would follow. What are those things? What is tripping you up in life where maybe you need to, to make the decisive action that I need to remove that thing in order to honor God. So, the good news in all of that is that we can live strong. You can live strong by God's mercy. He, he gives you all the help that you need. And this points us to that big idea of our service expresses the gospel. It expresses how we've been impacted by the Lord. It expresses how we are now being changed more and more into his likeness like we learned about last week. Let's go to the next slide. The next thing I see is that we all need to see and know Jesus. We all need to see and know Jesus, but there's a problem. Uh, not all of us do. And we could say, and we might be right in saying that, well, we just need to keep saying it. Well, that's all well and good. But what about for the people where, as Paul points out, that there are people, and he spent a long, lot of time talking about veils and unveiled and all of that, and we've been talking about that the last few weeks. And so it's strange that in verse 3 he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, which he's just spent a bunch of time saying it's not veiled, like we're, we're pretty bold in proclaiming this thing. But he points out a really, really important truth that I think a lot of us miss, and sometimes we don't pay attention, is that if we're not understanding the gospel, if we don't see it, if we're not understanding God's word, or the people that we're trying to communicate, it's like we're very clearly saying, this is what God's word says. And they're like, well, I don't see it. <laughs> What's going on? It's that it's veiled because the enemy of yours and my soul the devil, what Paul described as the God of this world, little g, is veiling the gospel, the light of the gospel for those who are perishing. The very people who need the gospel have a blindfold on. The people who need the gospel, whether, you know, we're just talking metaphorical blindness, but the bottom line is that there are people where it's like you could just, you could talk to them till you're blue in the face and give every single apologetic reason for why they should believe and they're not 
going to see it. There is a blindfold on their eyes. There's something covering them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. So what do we do with that? Well, we see a really apt illustration. I love it. I, I'm glad this happened to be online. This, this lady is trying to read a Bible. She's got a blindfold on. Now, somebody could come alongside and maybe read it to her, but then within the illustration, what if she has earplugs in? I know, it's a little ridiculous, right? But there are people where it's like they don't want to hear it. So what do we do? For you and I, if, if we are the ones who maybe we don't fall into the unbeliever category, what do we do? I think what we need to do is we need to pray for those people to have the veil lifted. And that's not an instantaneous thing. Now, it'd be super cool if it was, where it's just like you pray one time, one tiny little prayer, and then boop, it happens. Unfortunately, for many people in the world, uh, their testimony would be otherwise, that usually it's, it's days, it's months, it's years of prayer until finally that person that they've been praying for they see it. Even in yours and my life, there are areas where maybe we've said yes to Jesus. Maybe we have said, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. But then, ironically, there are areas of our life where we express that maybe we don't believe it. And what I'm talking about is like areas where maybe we're triggered by something and it's like, oh, that's something that's unresolved, that's undealt with. And yes, like my mind knows, yes, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he died for my sins. Yes, I received that. I know, I, I believe that new life for me, I, I, I want that. But then we keep going back to the same old life or the same old response or the same old thing, proving that maybe we don't believe sometimes. And maybe the enemy is trying to keep a blinder on you and on me so that we don't see how good our God really is. So we don't really see the light of the gospel shining through our lives or seeing it evident all around us. Maybe, even if we would count ourselves in the believer category, maybe there's still parts of us where we still don't believe. Now, what Paul would suggest is, well, he, I mean, he just plainly states this is the situation, that Jesus is the image of God, like it says in Colossians, that he's the image of the invisible, that Jesus is God. And when we look at Jesus, we are looking at God, and he's the one who has come to save us. And we all need to see and know Jesus. I would submit to you that there, as we walk out this life of faith, there is a process where we need to recon recognize the areas where maybe we don't believe. And we need to submit those to the Lord and say, God, help me with my unbelief. What was I doing there? Like, I can't, that's not me. That, that doesn't 
point to the God that I, I know that I know. If our service expresses the gospel, maybe a good question would be, which gospel are, is your service or your life expressing? And so, there you go. The, <laughs> the third thing I see is that God makes himself known in the dark through us. And so Paul, in verses 5 and 6, he, he says, for what we, meaning him and his crew that he travels with, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then he quotes, saying, For God, you said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's God shining through us. I don't have to try to produce the light on my own. It's also not just a light that I inherently have just because I exist or what pop culture would say, like, there's light inside of you. Well, maybe there's a little, but like, that's not the same light that we're talking about. We're talking about God shining his light through you and I. And this reminds me of a flashlight. Uh, what, uh, what the British would call a torchlight. Um, and uh, specifically, like, I wanted to put a lantern. I wanted to get a camping lantern because I love camping. But I... You know, you can see the image on, on the slide there, but um, with a light, uh, a flashlight, um, you have the bulb that produces the light. Well, there's energy behind it, but it, it exudes the light. But then it's amplified by mirrors that then shine the light forth, right? And so I'm explaining lights to you, but you know. You know how this works. My point is, though, is that there is a reflection and there's a shining through that happens when you turn on a flashlight. So, too, I would submit to you that in yours and my life, God wants to shine his light through you and through me. Not because we're so great, even though I think you're pretty wonderful, but because that's how people are going to be exposed to and have messages coming at them of the gospel. Where, remember, in our original illustration and everything, where we're all saying something and we're all receiving something, we're all listening, we're all hearing something. So there's the what are we hearing? There's the what are we saying? This is the part, what are we saying? What is the light that is shining through your life? Is it God or is it something else? And then, what does that even look like? Because where the rubber meets the road, we, we take kind of these lofty ideas, and they're really good ideas. If the big idea is our service expresses the gospel, what does that even mean? I think it means that when we do something in Jesus' name that aligns with Jesus' name, 
like Angie was praying and as we've been singing about all morning, about how God has a character about him that he's communicating all the time to us, whether we realize it or not. And you and I, when we have, you know, by faith and, you know, by grace through faith, we've received the new covenant life, we've received the gospel for us, we, we are following Jesus, and now we're going throughout our lives. Our lives, the things we do in our lives, are hopefully proclaiming the gospel. Maybe not so overt as having a sandwich board sign or holding the little sign on the side corner of a, a, a freeway, right? But maybe it's the way you interact with your kids. Maybe it's the way that you feel so compelled that you see things in our community and you're like, somebody's got to do something about that. I guess I'll do something about that. Um, there are, are some guys in our church. I'm not going to... Uh, uh, they're, they're pretty humble about what they're doing, but there are people in our church who have been identifying the fact that there's issues that are going on with the homeless in our, in our community and, you know, for a while they've been looking at it like, ah, somebody should do something about that. And then they started doing something about it. Like something as simple as picking up garbage along uh, Munsell Creek Path, where uh, Angie had walked down it or ridden her bike down it last year. And it was not in good, good place. And now, with like six months to a year, now under the belt of, you know, other people going along and picking up trash, Angie and I were walking along the path the other day, and it's like, wow, that's actually pretty nice. It's pretty good. A little bit of light shining through in, in that way. And I'm not trying to make light of it. However, I just want you to know, like, it's not some grandiose thing. You don't have to be a preacher like Paul. You don't have, and, and by the way, Paul says he wasn't really that good at preaching. <laughs> You know, and I don't think he was being too humble about that because he, at one point, he was teaching all night and somebody fell out uh, a window and died. So, I mean, he, he might have been a, a little bit long-winded, right? But, you know, you don't have to stand up on a stage or you don't have to do all those kinds of things. I would submit to you that all you got to do is let God shine his light through you. And not in a way that like points back to you, but it's like, you know, I made you this casserole. I don't know why Jesus told me to do it. Um, you know, or it, we could be here all day. Like I said, there's, there's lots of different examples, like as infinite of possibilities as there are in your life, there are ways that God can shine his light through you. And so my, my question would be, are you willing to let him or not? Because if our service expresses the gospel, that, you know, you could turn that phrase around and say, well, my, my non-serving doesn't express the gospel. And if, 
if we want to learn from what Paul is suggesting about his life, but then we could maybe extrapolate it on to yours and my life, is that maybe you and I, we express something no matter what we do. We say something with our lives. So what are we saying? Worship team, you can come up. Um, let's pray.